Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement Podcast. Today is a very special episode. We're talking to two of my favorite people to talk about education with, especially public education in the city of Richmond. We're talking to 2019 Teacher of the Year, 2019 National Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson, who has taken on an amazing role in the administration of Richmond Public Schools, headed by Superintendent Jason Cameras. He is now in charge of this amazing, I would say, conceptual program to increase diversity amongst teachers, increase diversity amongst education. He has got a heroic task, if you will. Education, public education, is over 70% taught by white females, and he's trying to change that. He's trying to have teachers that look and reflect like all students in the classroom, and it's an amazing task. He's an amazing conversationalist. It is a great, great conversation that we have about the state of RPS, the state of teaching, the state of education, and a little bit about him and his background. So I'm really excited for you to listen to our conversation with the 2019 Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson. And then I we got another just banger after banger when it comes to public education, especially in the city of Richmond. Great conversation with Kenya Hunter, who is the education reporter for Richmond, Henrico. Uh, she dips over some in Chesterfield and Hanover, but not not often. But Richmond and Henrico specifically for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Kenya is amazing. She is truly the future, if not in Richmond in journalism, the future in journalism in general in regards to education. She is doing some amazing work. And we talk to her about her career, her journey, what's happening in RPS, And additionally, she just released not too long ago a special three-part, I don't even know the word, it's a three-part kind of series, if you will, about the governor's school in Richmond, Maggie Walker, and some of how it came about, some of the challenges it has with enrollment and diversity. Kenya just lays it all out there, talks to a bunch of people. It is really an amazing piece of journalism, and she is phenomenal. So... This episode is flat out awesome. It's a little bit of a special. It's not necessarily um, kind of the regular flow that we keep our Cheats Movement podcast in, but it is a special episode nonetheless, and it's perfect uh, while you have a couple of days to hopefully (laughs) go through Thanksgiving, digest your Thanksgiving meals, take in all of the sports, take in all of the culture, take in all of the specials that are taking place over this Thanksgiving day, weekend, feast week, however you want to call it. So this is a little bit of a special. We're focused on what's going on around Richmond Education, RPS. I'm so excited to bring you these two interviews. And as always, make sure if you like what we're doing, the Cheats Amendment podcast is back. Gigi Broadway is back. Joshua, our super producer, is on board. We've got so much stuff going on. And we are honored to be a part of the Family Podcast Network that will be launching in January 2022. So please, please subscribe to this podcast. Go to the CheatsMovementPodcastNetwork.com. Sign up so you'll be the first in line to hear everything that's going on with the Family Podcast Network. 
And hey, enjoy these amazing interviews and happy, happy Thanksgiving. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Cheats Movement podcast. We are talking RPS. We're talking Richmond Public Schools. We're talking education. And there is no better person to have on the podcast right now talking about what we're talking about than Richmond's very own Teacher of the Year. I got, look, I've won some awards, but I have never (laughs) won a national award on the scale that this gentleman (laughs) has won an award. Ladies and gentlemen, we're honored to welcome to the program former now National Teacher of the Uh, Year. uh, uh, was that 2019 national teacher? Yeah, 2019 year. teacher of the year. <laughs> However, longtime educator, uh, and now he's got an executive role uh, in RPS that we're gonna get into and ask him about as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Rodney Robinson on the podcast for the first time. Rodney, welcome to the program. It's my pleasure to be here. I had to correct you because um, I had a conversation with Johanna Hayes. You know she's in Congress. Uh, 2016 National Teacher of the Year. She said, never let anybody call you a former National Teacher of the Year. Oh, Just make okay. sure they put 2019. 2000, not, well, it, it, is it a, never can be taken from you. It is. It will never be taken from you. I will tell you that it will never be taken from you. It is a tremendous, <laughs> tremendous honor. Honestly, I, I, that, that's where I want to start because it's, it's a life-changing thing, one way or yeah. the other. And a life-changing honor, and we're so proud of you here in, in, in our community in, in Richmond and beyond in Virginia. But I'm always interested to hear from your perspective, uh, what was it like? Because, I mean, obviously there's a process, but at the same time, you nobody gets into teaching <laughs> and even says, like, people get into basketball and say, I'm going to play in the NBA. People get in football and say, I'm going to play in the NFL. I don't think anyone gets into teaching and says, one day I'm going to be national teacher of the year. So talk to me about a little bit quickly, just about how that transition came about. Not like how you became teacher of the year, but like, what was it like now that the world knows who you are? It, it's, it was weird because um, I, one thing about and anybody who's ever worked with me, Richmond, knows me that I am a straight shooter, you know, and that's just the way I carry it, my students, co-workers, anybody. And then all of a sudden, when people put a microphone in your face, you can't be such a straight shooter because mm. whatever you say is going to have, you know, reverberations around the country. Sure. And so I've had to learn, you know, just to sometimes just bite my tongue and it's not worth it today. I don't feel like fighting that battle. And and that was literally the hardest part, just learning, hey, I'm just not going to deal with that today. I'm not going to speak my actual thoughts. I'm just going to learn. One thing I've hated about politicians is they never give you straight answers sometimes. Right. Once I was put in a situation where a microphone was always in my face, I understood why you do that because (laughs) you don't need to spend your energy dealing with just a comment that you made it's just sometimes you just want to keep it moving let me let me tell you really quickly funny story about that is when i knew it changed for you i like from the outside looking in it's our first time talking uh we follow each other on twitter it, but let me tell you when i knew it changed for you 
because I followed you on Twitter this whole time. And then there was something that happened on Twitter where it was like, no, 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 no. Matter of fact, it was I was doing a podcast with superintendent cameras. And at the time I asked, I was like, hey, do we think we can also get Rodney Robinson to come on the podcast with superintendent cameras? And we got the superintendent like that. He was like, sure, I'll come on your podcast. No problem. They was like, you need to talk to Rodney's publicist. <laughs> or, or, <laughs> you, look, look, the superintendent was telling me I had to talk to Rodney's people because it has to get cleared through a whole national thing when you're national teacher of the year. It's not it's not the yeah. same. The, as Fat Joe says, the price has gone. Not, well, it's not just it's not that things have changed. It's just so many people are requesting your time. Right. Is that there's no way you can handle it by yourself. Mm. And so you have to have people that can, you know, reach out and screen and say, hey, do you want to do this? You know, because if you're put, you know, you put a lot of work, it's going to come to me. So I hate somebody like, hey, do you want to do this? And if it's not a stretch of my time, sure, I ain't got, I don't have no issue with that. Right. But sometimes it's just like when you're on the road five, six days a week, and it's like, I don't feel like doing none of that. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just a, <laughs> just a matter of energy. How, how was the travel, too? Because that's the one thing that I don't think people fully understand. You had to travel all over the country. Um, you know, how, how much did you have to travel for this? Um, on average, uh, I was... Four, four to five days a week. I was on the road. On the road. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, I literally, even if I was home, I was spending all a lot of my time in DC back and forth. Mm. And so it was just constant traveling. And when you're when you're on the road like that, it's just exhausting. Add in the fact you're a black man on the road going into places where you're not particularly welcome all the time. That only adds to the stress of it but you know it was a great experience you know but i'm not gonna lie when the pandemic hit i did sleep for six straight weeks because i was just tired <laughs> you know <laughs> well you know well, just had to recoup let's talk about a little bit about now because it's really interesting because the arc of something like 2019 national teacher of the year like you said you're doing your thing you're teaching then all of a sudden the world changes and mm-hmm. now you're on the road five days a week but then it becomes 2020 and there's a new national teacher of the year or 2021. And now it's almost like, you know, you're not back to teaching in the classroom. You got a new role with RPS, mm-hmm. but it, all this stuff that we've been going through, I'll, I often wonder just personally, do you feel like it's easier to breathe now? Or is it like, man, I just got out of this world when now I got to go and we're dealing with, all of this stuff in public schools that we've never dealt with before. It's, it's a transition, you know, um, it was hard for me for one thing, what people don't realize is that since the beginning of 2019, I have not had a steady nine, nine to five. Okay. You know, I've been moving on the road since, from the moment I was announced as a finalist, I was out of the classroom. And so mm. not having that type of schedule then all of a sudden having to go back to it, you know, especially when we went back in the office in July, right. having to go back to a nine to five schedule was a major, major adjustment Oof. for me. Cause for almost two years, it was just come and go, whatever the schedule says. And now it's like, no, you got to be in office for eight hours a day. And like, <laughs> sometimes I, I get listless. 
sitting right. in that office right. and doing that work because That's like crazy. I, I need to be on the go. But the hardest transition is just being out of classroom and not around right. kids. I get my energy from kids and you know, those days where I don't have it, you know, I don't have it. You know, whereas if I was in the school, it don't matter if you have it or not. When them kids come in, you better bring it and find it. Right. You know what I mean? And so, so it's a little harder to get that motivation some days. So that's a good question. Why Why did you make a decision not to go back to the classroom? I'm sure any classroom in America would have had you. It's more of a, you see, when you're, what's the, I always, I always go back to the story, the allegory of the cave, mm-hmm. you know, Plato, where the man was in the cave mm-hmm. and then he escapes the cave and sees the world for what it is. Then he comes back into the cave and realizes no way he's going to be satisfied just staying in that cave. Okay. You know, being national teacher of the year was sort of like eye opening and seeing so many things. And then also being given a spotlight and a platform, it would have been selfish of me to go back into the classroom when I had the spotlight where I could bring an issue, bring light to so many different issues. And the moment when I realized I wasn't going back into the classroom was, I think it was early on about summer of 2019, we were at the education commission of the states. That's all the state chiefs and state superintendents from around the country. And we were in the room and I didn't see but one brother that looked like me. Right. You know, no, no right. Latinx representation. That's crazy. Very few women. And so I'm like, this is where I need to be. I need to be in these rooms of the people who are making policies and decisions that affect our schools. And while I'm, while it'd be great to go back into the classroom, now that this door is open for me to be in these rooms, I need to push these conversations that can benefit our kids. And so that's really when I decided I wasn't going to go back into the classroom. You know, I just had to find what suited me once I was done. So let's talk about that spotlight because you do, you have a huge spotlight, whether, whether you want it or not, everybody's, kind of looking at you and, and asking you your opinion and, and thinking about um, how how you would go about doing something. And you've had this experience, like you said, over the last two years plus of being able to travel all over the country, meet uh, network, meet other educators, administrations, mm-hmm. policymakers, see how they're going about it. So when you were thinking about how to use your spotlight and you decided you're not going to go back in the classroom, you need, you have a bigger calling, if you will, a wider calling. Um, what is some of the top priority things that you want to shine that spotlight on, whether it's in RPS or nationally? I mean, ultimately, you know, I'm, I'm bitten, you know, when I was national teacher of the year, my whole, platform was just about cultural diversity and people's like how can we fix education i was like we need diversity in education you need more people at the table who look like our students who come from the same background as our students and who can represent their experiences and speak on it you know i think ultimately you know everybody talks about if you can make a magic wand i got this question like 500 times on the Mm -hmm. road and i got sick of it and people ask me if you can have a magic wand to fix education, what would you do? I would instantly make the teachers and administrators match the demographics of the students that we have in our classroom. I think Mm. that would be a magical fix because now you have people in the rooms who understand the experience of the minoritized and the underserved populations. And so with that, they'll make decisions. They'll make policy that better suits those students. Right now we have 80%, 81% white, 70 78% 78% white women, you know, 
dealing well, with the population. On. Where where nationally or locally? Nationally. Nationally. Okay. nationally. 78% white women. 78% okay. white women. I, 78 or 76, I'm not sure, but somewhere in that range. But uh, up, the, upper 70s. That's enough. We get yeah, the gist. We get the gist. Exactly. Right. And while 50% of our students are students of color, you know what I mean? And that's ultimately where the where the issue lives in education. It's just that the, the people in charge don't necessarily represent the values and cores of the students that are in the classroom. And so if you want to fix it, that's the way that's where you start. But an interesting thing happened in 2020, mm-hmm. along with the pandemic. There was all of that virtual school. There was mm-hmm. all of that school at home. And what my what I learned, what my wife learned is everybody ain't cut out to be teachers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Did you find after going through what people went through a virtual school and homeschool and school closings, a more of an appreciation for teachers no. or what? <laughs> all right. Go no. give it to me. What have you found? What have you found? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there was appreciation at first. I appreciate them more because yeah. I know I can't do it. But then after a while, that appreciation went away and people pushed teachers back into classrooms. And, you know, we're dealing with everything right now. Everybody wanting to get back to normal while it isn't normal. Mm-hmm. If people really appreciate it, then A, they be pushing for certain policies and things that they know would increase. Like, for example, you know, the biggest issue was people didn't send their kids back to school because buildings were unsafe. Yet mm. the whole infrastructure deal cut out, you know, hundred billion dollars in school school mm. construction. If mm. you cared about teachers and or if you cared about your kids, that would be something you'd be in the uproar about. But it's gone under the table and no one's paid any attention. And so while we got the recognition for a little while, after you know a year, it just went right back to normal. Everybody was just like, "Look, just care my care for my kids. Not you know, keep them there, educate them." And I, well, I think the hard part on some of it is is is, is what you just mentioned. You you highlighted the infrastructure deal and how much that would help teachers yeah. and, and ultimately students in performance. And because it's there's because people don't see the direct line, yeah. right? In, in regards to an infrastructure deal or you know ancillary funding, they don't see the direct line. They, I think yeah. the easiest one that may not necessarily scientifically prove or mathematically prove to be as effective is build a new school, right? So folks will say, oh yeah, we want to build a new school. We'll rally around building a new school. But when you say about a lot of these underlining infrastructure needs that would make the classroom more effective, make teachers' jobs easier, uh, I don't think people pay enough attention. And ultimately it, it leaves teachers in the classroom uh, at a disadvantage. Yeah. And I, and that's why I said, you know, everybody said they cared. And for a minute, it was nice to feel that love, but then it just went right back to pushing. But I, I'm not going to say that's just a teaching profession. That's every profession under this sure. pandemic. Everybody just tries to say, we're back to normal. Let's keep going. You know, that's the way it is. But the reality is we're still in a pandemic. We're still dealing with the thing we're still dealing with mental health issues from our kids, our students, our teachers. There's just a lot going on right now. And so I don't think teachers are getting that love that once existed. I got two questions um, 
that I want to ask specifically because it just kind of came up in my spirit while we were talking about some of the difficulties and some of the things that's going on now, but also your mission, that, that spotlight that you talked about. So I'll ask you a two-part question, but I'll ask this part first and I'll let you answer. What in your mind, since you've been now experienced in, in trying to figure out and working in ways to increase diversity in education from a teacher and administrator and a policy standpoint, what's the best way to incentivize your goal? What's the best way for us to, not, I'm not asking the magic wand question. I know what the magic wand yeah. answer is. <laughs> How do we get from where we are today, 76, 78% white women in education, mm -hmm. How do we get to more inclusive representation of our educators, administrators, policymakers? Uh, okay, I could go on an hour-long tangent right now, but I'm, don't make it an I'm hour. Gonna, but but I'm I know you're. Look, I'm I know you. I know you're. I'm keeping short. I know you're. A simple is pay teachers more. Bottom line, you mm -hmm. know, most most people coming out of college aren't going to go into teaching because it just simply doesn't pay pay enough. You know, like right now, the biggest shortage is math. And people's like, why can't we get math teachers? Well, math teachers understand numbers and mm. they understand taking on $200,000 <laughs> worth of debt Good for point. a job that pays you 45 is not mm. a smart move, mm. you know? So that's number one. And then in addition, you got to look at most people of color are first generation college students. Mm. Most of them are the ones that- Even in 2021. Yeah, and they have to take, they're usually the breadwinners, not only of their core family, which teaching doesn't make enough to pay for, but often extended family. Mm -hmm. And so therefore their teacher salary doesn't match. Add in the fact that black students and brown students take on more student debt. Mm -hmm. You know, so you're taking on more student debt to go to college. You know, and then we get to the industry, to actual education itself. We got to make sure we want them. You know, I, and I'll be honest, Everybody says we want diversity, but when it comes to putting forth the things that are inclusive and diverse, people tend to get a little shaky then because now it requires them to change and get out of their comfort zone. It's one thing to say, hey, let's recruit more male teachers of color. Cool, but what are you doing to keep the ones that you have? What are you doing to make the environment for them when they get there? You know, that, I think that's the big, big thing. Everybody, I tell, I tell the kids in college, Hey, be careful of the language people tell you when they're recruiting you. Because mm. if people say, if you go to, uh, let's say, if I go to HBCU and I say, we want the most, uh, what's, what's, uh, what's the term they always use? Oh, we want competent male teachers of color. Mm. Why did you have to say competent? You ain't say that. You didn't say that when you was down the street at the PWI. Right. You know what I mean? And I tell them, watch for language like that, because what that language tells you is that that is not an environment that's ready for for people of color. They're mm -hmm. going to be my, that's a, that's a small microaggression that they're promoting. So imagine all the microaggressions you're going to see when you get there, mm -hmm. you know? And so we have those conversations about what it takes to support teachers of color, any teacher of color. Um, are you open to criticism? One, one of my favorite speeches, and quite honestly, it gets me into a lot of trouble trouble because it's a hard conversation. Let's do an audit of what, what are your schools doing to support teachers of color? And when I had that conversation, you know, you can see people getting sliding in that chair, getting uncomfortable mm -hmm. because these are the questions. And so it's easy to say, let's get more teachers. We can easily do things to get more teachers. We can do scholarships. We can do 
no student loans. We can do all that stuff. But the reality is a lot of black teachers and brown teachers are leaving because the environment is not healthy for them. A lot of them are leaving because they have to deal with the microaggressions, the invisible tax, so many other things that are burning them out. And so until we start to look internally, same thing I tell teachers when they deal with students, stop looking at the student and start looking at yourself. What do you mm -hmm. need to do to improve yourself to make the environment better for students? But also, what do you need to do to yourself to make the environment better for teachers of color? So I'm going to put you on the spot because I know what you're doing uh, with RPS. And I know when you were hired, what the job description was. And it's exactly what you're talking about, right? Fostering a better environment for I didn't know if it was specifically black male teachers or minority teachers. Minority, minority teachers, black and brown. We got 15 Hispanic male teachers in, in Richmond. 15. So that was that's my <laughs> that's my follow up question. Yes. How how are we doing in this? Tell me a little bit about this mission in regards to the job when you when you were hired uh, and, and moved into the kind of the the what's the word i used to call it the central office i don't know if it's called the central office yeah anymore. central office okay i call it the dark side to teachers I so, when, so when you move to the dark <laughs> side with this specific task what tell me honestly when you walked in day one what did you find in regards to rps and the task that you had in fostering minority teachers and where are we today and where are we going um, well, it's, it's different times because of the pandemic, you know, and once I first started, you know, and what I'm dealing with now is what, you know, Travis Bristol out of, you know, UC Berkeley says the best recruitment plan is a solid retention plan. Okay. But the simple fact that we need to support the teachers that we have and make sure that number one, they're, they're satisfied, you know, number two, that the jobs are being distributed equally and that they're not paying that invisible tax of extra work. Number three is licensure support, you know, and we, you know, I could do a whole podcast with you about how school colleges of education are not producing teachers of color because they're so traumatic to them that we have to come up with alternative ways to get teachers of color licensed. Oh, and wow. so that is that is oh, a wow. That is a large, large um, conversation mm. that not a lot of people want to have. But the fact of the matter uh, is, do a lot of people know? Because I, I didn't even know. I don't know if a lot. I don't know if the I, general public knows this challenge. I was given someone, um, you know, in the conversation, someone said, you know, I need you to go give me 20 male teachers of color from school, schools of education in the area. I told you there aren't 20 male teachers of color in all these schools of education in the area. I can mm. graduate licensed teachers of color. Male, they aren't 20. I can guarantee you that. So what we need to do is we need to start and this starts at the state level. What are some of the alternative forms to get people licensed in education so that we can get them in the classroom? You know, we got plenty of people that want to teach, but they don't have the money to take the extra classes. They can't pass the culturally biased test. There's just a lot of fact. That's the biggest thing as far as teachers of color is just that license. So let me you know, just because so, I'm clear, because I, I do a lot of stuff when it comes to um uh, technology and, and tech and, and civil, I don't do a lot of stuff, but I, I'm familiar with that world. And the, the, the myth a long time ago was, well, we would hire the, we would hire black people in Silicon Valley or wherever they're making Google and Apple and all the places where they're making all this money. If uh, we had a pipeline, we have a pipeline problem. Well, it turns out they didn't have a pipeline problem. There's more black engineers graduating from <laughs> prestigious universities yeah. than ever before, and they just didn't hire them. 
am I hearing from you that there are teachers that want to teach and the, and the barrier is the licensing process? Or am I hearing that there's not enough black teachers to get licensed? There, there's, there's a bit of both. And, okay. you know, I think there are a lot of people that are want to want to teach, but they were never pushed toward education. And that goes back to high school, middle school, college. No one ever presented teaching to them as a career. So by the time they're a junior, senior in college and say, hey, I think education might be the route for me. OK, let's change your major. You have to attend school two more extra years right. in order to, yep. to get this. So yep. that's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I ain't right. got that money, much money. Let me just take this degree. And now I right. get a provisional license. And now I have... In these three years, I got to take like six classes, pass three tests, in addition to being a full-time teacher in the classroom. And that's just way, way too much. And what we have to do is just support them. But then again, the pipeline is bad. Bottom line. That's there. tough. That's tough and to that, hear. And it starts with the simple fact that school is not a place for, you know, these, these are the students who have the worst experiences in schools. Now we tell them, okay, now come back and work in the school. Mm. You know, th- nobody mm-hmm. wants to go back to that to that place of trauma as a career field. And so that's where it starts is creating better experiences for them while they're in school. So I'm learning how hard your job is, brother. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, yeah. while you're explaining it to to me it's, and I'm sitting, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, how in the world is Rodney Robinson going to. I mean, not one person can single handedly turn around, but what do we what do we do? What do we put in place and even at RPS to get more more of this? Happen? Well, it, st- it starts in middle and high schools. You know, we need to start identifying who would want to be a teacher and putting them on a path, whether that be dual enrollment credits to take some of the cost of college away, um, sponsorships, uh, mentorships, just saying, hey, you know, just like we recruit athletes, basketball players, football players, hey, let's go recruiting teachers and tell them, hey, those skills that you show on the basketball court leading the team, those are the same skills it takes to run the classroom. So let's cultivate those skills and put you on a path and have conversations about what it takes to be a teacher. And so that's where it all starts and then providing support along the way. But it ultimately boils down to money. You're asking, you're asking people who don't have it to all of a sudden go into a profession that takes a lot to get into, you know. And for example, we look at the, re- um, you know, look at the residency model, which is VCU's. I love the residency model. I think it's one of the most effective ways to create teachers. But that model asks students to take a year of unpaid work. How many brothers you know can right. take a year, a year off? off? With like maybe a $6,000 oh. stipend to last them an entire year. Right. You know, and those are conversations we're having. The, what can we do to put money in people's pockets so that they can go through residencies and become great teachers? You know, and th- those are conversations that need to take place. And, and money will fix it. Like, you gave me $4 million right now. I could get you a good 100 Black teachers, mm. plain and simple, just That's by crazy. taking care of the financial barriers of I call it gatekeepers you know because it really are things put in place to keep people out of education mm. plain and simple and so yeah that's give me four million dollars and I can get you those teachers ladies and gentlemen <laughs> the voice you are hearing is the 2019 national teacher of the year 
He works now for RPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rodney Robinson, we're so honored to have him on the program. Mm-hmm. Um, let me switch gears and ask this, because last mm-hmm. year was such a challenge for mm-hmm. everyone involved, kids, parents, educators, central office. And I want to be rem- I'd be remiss if I did not highlight that obviously we were going through a global pandemic, but mm-hmm. in our nation last year, we went through a second pandemic, especially for people that was current concerned about racial justice, equity. We, you know, we dealt with uh, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, pro- protesting the seas. Richmond had a, a situation in June, July, August, September, um, pretty much from the, the the murder of George Floyd all the way up to I would probably say the election in November, we saw steady widespread protests. Mm-hmm. And so all of this is happening. You're having to deal with the pandemic. You're having to deal with all of this, you know, racial reckoning. People are looking to you even just for comments or guidance. What was what was that time period like for you? Uh, I'm assuming it's I can't. I don't want to put words in your mouth. How was it for you? It was just as traumatic for me. I mean, you know, we're trying to deal with it and then process it. You know, at the same time, you got students and former students calling you, former students calling you up, asking you for advice on what to do. And it's weird because you're stuck in that parent situation. Like, yeah, I taught you to go out and protest and, you know, stand up for what you believe in. But at the same time, I don't want you to get hurt. You know, I see everything that's going on. So it was just constant worry, putting situations, giving advice, having conversations about things that have never come up before. Mm. And so it was really, really an awkward situation. But at the same time, it's something you have to lean into. You know, you, you know, when you're given the spotlight, you know, you're, you're giving it for a reason, you know. And so a lot of times let's have this discussion. Let's talk about this. And there, and there of course, were times where I became frustrated. And I said things, you know, that I shouldn't have said, you know, and I realized that. But at the same time, I was processing a lot of trauma as well, Mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, I think that a lot of it needs to be some grace given Mm -hmm. to people as they as they deal with it. You know, education needs to understand that we're all dealing with not as a teacher. Not only are you trying to process what's going on yourself. But you have to be there for all the kids and add in the fact that you're, you know, black teachers, you're only 7% of the profession, Mm. but black students are 20% of the population, Mm. you know, guess who they're coming to for their, for their issues. And so you're constantly absorbing all of that and you're dealing with that. And so it's really important that as black educators, you have to give them grace. Because not like I said, they're processing their own emotions, but they're also helping at least 10 to 15 students process all of their emotions and what they're going to. So not only are you doing your trauma, but you're absorbing all their secondary trauma. And so what, what we need others to do is to give space and give grace and let people move, you know, and let people figure things out. And what we saw last year was instead of doing that, education put more burden on black teachers, more, more harshness to deal with those things. And then uh, there were, you know, a lot of white educators took up the mantle and ran with it and said, hey, let's have this discussion. But a lot of them sat on the sideline. 
you know? And when mm-hmm. you sit on the sideline, you go back to Brother Kende, you either, you know, the, the person who sits on the sideline and does nothing while racist actions take place is just as racist as the person who did the action, you mm-hmm. know? And so it was sort of like they got to chill while Black teachers had to absorb so much more trauma. Mm-hmm. And that also led to so many of so many of them leaving the field, you know, because we can't deal with but so much as as human beings. You know, I shout out to all the ones that stayed, but I know a lot left. I know people personally that said, you know, I can't do this no more, Rob. And I and I I can, I had nothing to say to them, but I understand. I couldn't talk them back or say, don't leave. I understand why you're doing this. You know, take care of self. And it's so um almost a microcosm, right, of what we see in a lot of fields. I'm always often concerned about, I I wrestle with the question of whose responsibility is it to fix the problem? Like, we know what the problem is, but if you're, look, you're leaning on Black people to fix a problem of racial insensitivity, it's like, yo, it's not our problem. We're fully aware of it. Like, we we did it. So Same thing with it's the same thing when people keep asking me, do, are you going to the HBCUs to recruit teachers? Like, it ain't just the HBCUs. We need to start putting pressure on the PWIs to, to get us some teachers of color as well. It's the same thing. It's not the job of minoritized people to solve the issues of racism in America. Right. Is, this is so on point. And I wanted to, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up, but I do, one of the things that was recent that I know you you had made some comments on and I thought it was really important. And I think it falls into a little bit of this category of grace that we're talking about and valuing teachers and understanding that teachers and educators and professionals are people too. Um, I guess it was last week we went through um, a situation where I, I live in the County and we went through a situation last week where it was election day, then it was Diwali and, you know, uh, my son who's in first grade, um, only went to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I understood that challenge. I also was, me and my wife was like, maybe they should just give them the week off. <laughs> we were thinking that in our mind. And then RPS was like, they had the week off. And there was obviously mixed reactions to, to that. And I understand there are some challenges, logistical challenges for parents, mm-hmm. because that's important. But what struck me was there seemed to me, and I'm only speaking for myself, to be an air of insensitivity that teachers might need a break as well. And um, I, I think, I believe I heard you say or quoted or read something that was like, Hey, look, you know, teachers sometimes really need this time uh, yeah. for us to be human and, and to catch up and do all of these things that we're doing. And I, now that we're kind of through that week, I did want to get a reflective perspective perspective from you of, did you think that that was needed because oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just because yeah. I heard mixed emotions all over the place. You, you know what I saw Monday that I hadn't seen since the first day of school? Smiles. Teachers mm. coming in. Smile. Imagine how that resonated with those students when they came back in the school Monday to see their teachers smile and then relax for a little bit. Because mm. like I said, it hadn't happened since the first day of school. Right. We hit the ground running. You know, it was like, yeah, we're happy to have you back. Then the complete chaos that's this year took off. And everybody's been struggling trying to keep up. And this past week was just a moment for just people to just breathe in, absorb, you know, honestly. And some people said, hey, I don't know if this is for me. That week off was just a 
okay, let me reset, refocus. Mm-hmm. Now I'm ready to go, you know? And that's really what the big thing was because before that break, I'll be honest, I'm spending, you know, <laughs> two to three days, four days a week, just talking people off the ledge, mm-hmm. just saying, Hey, you know, it's not always going to be like this, you know, to the point where I was starting to not believe it. I had a teacher call me, you know, it was frustrated. And I was just like, you know, sometimes we got to do what we got to do. And that was just me. I had hit the wall. I, right. I could no longer say that the way we were going was, is not sustainable. And what you're seeing now is not only Richmond has done this, but you see second Richmond, did, all it takes is one person to do it. Mm-hmm. The next, I think the next day King and Queen did it. Mm-hmm. You know, now Henrico has adjusted their schedule to give teachers some more days off and other Newport News, with other states, other counties around the country are saying teachers are being pushed to the limit. We really need to understand that. But then the big students, students are being pushed to the limits. And so it's nice for them to have a break and say, ah, you know, let me mm-hmm. breathe in, you know, refocus and come back to school. And I think this week, you know, I'm seeing people smiling for literally the first time since the first week of school, you know, and, and that that's what that's what that week meant to us. Just time to just get it together. Last question on this and then we'll get you out of here. Because a lot of people do ask me and I don't have any answer about this because I, I just don't know. Um, there are so many ways to measure success, right? Like there's so many metrics in Sometimes the metrics don't add up in reality. A metric could say one thing and then where you're living in, it feels like something else. Um, for this particular goal that you have and the goal that you're trying to um, encourage and, and re- retain and recruit, how do, how do you go about measuring if it's working? That's the hard part because there is no instant fix in this. You know, I would love to go in front of the school board and say, hey, we got 20, you know, male teachers of color hired this year due to our recruitment efforts. But if we lost 30 due to the stress of education, what do we do? You know what I mean? And so I think a lot of it is it's just hard. What, what we can do, number one, is we can measure how many are we keeping and get the data on why they left. Did you leave because you were upset over something had to do with the cultural tax or did you leave simply due to the fact that education is no longer a viable option for you? You know, did you leave the profession or did you leave and jump ship to to the counties? But also, who do we get? Where did they come from? Why did they get come here? Mm -hmm. Did they say, you know, like, for example, I talked to a brother the other week who said he came to Richmond strictly because of RVA men teach because the school he taught, he felt lonely being the only black male there and having nobody else to conversate and kick it with, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's not something that can be measured by, especially this year, you know, add in fact that some schools don't, aren't even allowing people on campus to come recruit, right. you know? <laughs> so it's like, I want to go to these schools and recruit people, but they're not even allowing you on campus, you That's know? Crazy. So how do That's you crazy. measure success when it comes to that? Well, you measure success by the stories. It's not something you're going to be able to quantify. If you're looking for something you're going to be able to quantify, then it's not going to be successful. But the reality is everything has to be long-term. What are the seeds that we planted that are going to grow three to four years from now? That's the key. That's how success is measured. What's in place to help grow this thing? Because like I said earlier, the pipeline is big. 
and not just the male teachers of color, all teachers. Mm. The pipeline's there, you know? And so success is measured by what have we accomplished to get more people in education? What have we, what have we done to get more people into college who are thinking about education? What conversations have we had to get more substitute people in the door who are now considering education? That's really how you measure success. It can't be measured overnight. We didn't get here overnight, you know. I understand. And I, no, and I, I could go all day about Brown versus Board and how that. No, hurt. no, I understand. I understand. Let you let, let's end on a good note. You mentioned you, in many ways you measure um, success by the stories. What is the most surreal story you had during your experience or even after? of national team is it was there was there a situation where there was a story where ultimately you were like man i'm in a room with x or or i got to meet this or something happened what was the most surreal story you had from that run i mean of course there's john lewis and that's you know whole but do tell do tell no no that's not the story that met to me it's the stories of the average everyday people okay like especially being teacher being a black man as national teacher of the year i knew it was something I didn't know how big of a deal it was until as national, as teacher of the year, being on the road, running into people who recognized me. I remember, you know, when I was in DC, one day, you know, I was leaving the Capitol, getting into the taxi, another taxi pull up beside me, blowing the horn, hey, I saw you on TV, you're the teacher of the year. You know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, cool. And then like, then we go down a few, few lights and then the guys at the next light the same taxi guy he's pulled up beside us and making me pose so he can take a picture that's crazy to send to his people or, or the brother in new orleans you know i'm at um what's the the, the beignet cafe dumont cafe dumont yep yeah and the brother's yeah, yeah. just sitting there staring at me you know and so i was like what's up bro he's like well i know you from dude i know you from somewhere and then it hit him like i saw you on tv you that teacher dude Mm. Those are the moments that 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 were special to me, not the celebrities and not, you know, that 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 comes with terror. I understand the answer, <laughs> but I do. I look I, I like the stunt. I like I like what every once in a while for you to be like, yep, I just looked up and I was in a room with blah, blah, blah. I, uh, like well, I mean, honest, I was, you know, I got to film a commercial with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, you know, yeah. Deadpool. There you go. Um, there like you said, go. I got to meet John Lewis, which that was crazy. Don, yeah, we were uh they did the <laughs> John Lewis came for the author ash dedication. Um, yeah. And I was able to uh uh I was able to meet him briefly um during yeah. that time. He had gave a gave a great speech that day. Um but that's crazy. That's crazy and it's a tremendous yeah. honor. Uh Mr. Robinson, I follow your Twitter. Tell I, I don't know if you want to give it out, but I love it. <laughs> Um, I put so, it follow follow RVA men teach on Twitter. All right, follow that's RVA. Where you can get give the, give the a quick news. give a quick plug for RVA men teach. Real quick RVA men out. teach. That's the program. You know, we 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 in the streets. We about to we about to go old school with RVA men teach. We about to get a street team. You about to see posters all around the city. You know, on the side. That's what's up. That's what a bad bad boy that's, bad boy in the nineties. Bad exactly, boy in the nineties. But that's what we're doing. We saying we're going to the streets where the people are who want to come into education. And now our job is to have that conversation to get you across the threshold. Even if we can just get you in school as a coach, instructional assistant, whatever, we're gonna do whatever it takes because then the next step is to get you as a fully licensed teacher. You know, so we about to hit the streets like a street team. That's RVA men teach that's on Twitter. Hit us, email RVA men teach at rvaschools.net. You know, just hit us up if you're interested out there. 
we'll we'll chop it up and we'll we'll get you connected. And we'll end it on that. Thank you so much, Rodney. Um, I don't have the side by side video comparisons, but we'll have to compare our uh, our, our squirrels' first pitches one of these days. Um, <laughs> Because I was at the game when you threw out your first pitch. <laughs> so I don't know if there's video of it, but I, I was there. I saw it. So, that, was, uh, that, that's, that was so crazy. You know, I practiced for a minute and still got up there and <laughs> threw it all. Threw it all. Uh, man, now nah, I really appreciate you. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement podcast. So, so excited. These are, these are dream uh, conversations, so I'm glad I'm able to have them. Um, we'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed that interview. It was phenomenal. Special shout out to Rodney Robinson, the 2019 Teacher of the Year. Look, this is what we're going to do. Being that this is Thanksgiving week, this is feast week, we're going to split up these two interviews. Kenya Hunter, we're going to make Kenya Hunter's interview a separate full episode because it's just as awesome and we don't want to cut any of her interview out. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to end the podcast here in this interview. Great conversation. We're going to make a new episode, part two, if you will, that'll be exclusively the Kenya Hunter interview. I implore you all to check it out as soon as it comes online. It'll be online, if not already, in a couple of a day or so. It's good. It's phenomenal. So we're going to split these two interviews up. I'm going to end the podcast right here. Again, as always, make sure you go to the Cheats Movement Podcast and sign up for the Family Podcast Network coming online January 2022. We're so excited about it. Nothing but amazing shows. We're going to be bringing you nothing but amazing podcasts, not just from the Cheats Movement, but a whole family of podcasts. So please sign up and check it out. Again, special thanks to Rodney Robinson. Stay tuned. Next episode up is going to be a full Kenya Hunter interview. I think that runs like 35, 40 minutes as well. It's awesome. So check that out. Until next time, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo. I'm trying to play leaving. Right. See you at the end, bro.